Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Neil, if you don't know me. I'm an associate pastor here, and uh, man, I just love when we get to gather together as a church. I, I, I love our, our community. It's, uh, Josh preached last week at Acts about uh, the, this idea of community. And so when we were able to gather together with, uh, we have a bunch of little pockets of community when we come together in a large group in worship, man, there's just something uh, supernatural about it. And, and, and kind of this idea that we're going to be talking about today is this idea of experiencing boldness, the, the boldness that comes through Christ alone. Uh, this week, um, like two weeks ago probably, I was changing all of the fluids and the filters and stuff in my tractor. And it was, the, it was the first time I've done it in this tractor. And so I, I didn't have all the, you know, things that I needed to get it all changed appropriately in a timely manner. So, you know, I like got a bunch of it done the first day and then I ran out of time. And the next day I was down to this one last little oil filter. And I was like, all right, just got to get this last filter off. I had like 20 minutes before we had to get to an event. And so I reached in there in the way this thing was positioned, I could only get like my fingers on it, you know, and I'm trying to turn it and I couldn't turn it. And, and I was like getting frustrated. I was like, man, I just need to get this last filter off so I can mow my grass. And uh, I made a commitment. I said, I'm not mowing again until I get all this stuff changed. It had been a little bit too long already. So, so I, you know, a couple days goes by and I finally, I'm like, all right, I'm getting this thing knocked out. So I run to tractor supply, I grab a filter wrench and I, I get on the filter and I'm trying to twist and the filter wrench was too big. It's the smallest one they had. I was like, oh my goodness. Finally, I bent the filter with the wrench I had and I was able to get another wrench in there and squeeze it and I busted the filter and got it off. And, uh, but here's the deal. They, they make a fitting that goes on the back of this filter that just, uh, you know, you can attach a wrench to it and it comes right off. But the place to get it was like 30 minutes away and it was going to take too much time to go to that place. And I was going to have to make a, an investment of money to, to, you know, to, to get this thing. And I was like, I, I've, I can make it happen. Like, uh, it's just this little filter. <laughs> like I did all this other stuff. I just have this one last thing. And, uh, but I was thinking about it the, the next day and I was like, man, I, I wonder how often we delay the work of God in our life because we're unwilling to make some sort of investment. Like literally all I had to do like that first day was go out to the store, grab this fitting, and I would have had it changed and my grass would have been mowed the next day. Instead, I had a hay field. I could have charged a few bucks for some bales of hay, but I, uh, I, was, I was just kind of thinking through, I wonder how often uh, we delay the work of God in our life, not miss out, but delay what could be accomplished uh, because we're unwilling to make an investment. Maybe that's an investment of our time. Uh, you know, we're, we're unwilling to make a commitment to, uh, to you know, going to church regularly or, or you know, being a part of a, a, a group of other believers. Or maybe we're unwilling to make uh, an investment of money in, you know, uh, giving to, to a missionary or, or some, you know, somebody who could really excel the, the gospel in a, in a way that we can't. Uh, it could be an investment of the heart. Maybe we're unwilling to let go of, of something that we're uh, close to or, or, you know, you know, it could be a, a hobby that's taking up a lot of our time or, uh, you know, whatever it is. I think that we often delay the work of God because we're unwilling to make an investment. 
Today we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 4. We've kind of been like bouncing around the book of Acts. We, we've, we're kind of like in this little mini-series. I think we've got maybe one more week. Uh, and, uh, and we've kind of been looking at different selections in Acts and just gaining some takeaways. Uh, Adam challenged us at the beginning of this series to identify six people who don't know the gospel. And let's be praying for these six people. And let's be investing our time and our energy in, uh, in leading these six people into a relationship with the Lord. And I think that what we're going to be reading about today could fuel that fire to lead people into the presence of Jesus. So we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 4, but to kind of set the stage, if we look back in chapter 3, we see that Peter and John, they're walking into the temple, okay? It's the the hour of prayer, so they're going at the hour of prayer into the temple, and there's this guy who was at the entrance to the temple. He, he was kind of uh, laying there at the gate, and he was asking for money. He, this guy was about 40 years old, and he was crippled from his, uh, around his ankles and his feet. From the time he was born, his entire life, he had been dealing with this uh, crippling uh, ankles and, and feet, whatever that was. He, he never was able to walk for 40 years. And he, he was asking for money, and Peter and John walked by him, and, and he asked Peter and John for money. And, and Peter said, listen, I, I don't have money, but what I have for you, I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he said to, to get up and walk. And this guy got up and started leaping and made his way into the temple. And so then people in the temple recognized who this guy was. They said, this is the guy that's been there for years begging for money. He, he's been crippled for his whole life. And this guy is, is walking around the temple now. And they recognize that Peter and John had something to do with it. And so they asked Peter, how did you do this? And, and Peter made it very clear. He said, it's not by my own authority that this happened, but it's through faith in Jesus that this man is able to stand and walk. The people were astonished, and the Lord began to move. The Spirit began to stir. And what we read is that 5,000 people surrendered their life to Christ because Peter took this as an opportunity to share the gospel. People were starting to question, how, how did this happen? How, how, was, how was this guy who was lame from birth, 40 years old, how is he able to walk now? And, and Peter took this as an opportunity to share the gospel. And when he shared the gospel, the spirit moved through that room and 5,000 people surrendered their life to Jesus. And at this point in time, we see that the religious leaders that saw this taking place, the very people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the very people who had just crucified Jesus, okay, so this is post-crucifixion, the very leaders who had just put Jesus through an awful death said, hey, listen, you can't be, like, we we killed him for a reason. You can't be uh, teaching this anymore. And, And so they put Peter and John in jail. And then we, we see that they started questioning Peter and John. But you know what is really cool about what happened? The Spirit already began to move. <laughs> the Spirit already moved through the life of 5,000 people who gave their life to Christ. They didn't need to arrest them. The Spirit already did the work. Imagine surrendering their heart to Jesus 
and then these leaders try, trying to stop it. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, an avalanche, right? There's no stopping an avalanche. Once an avalanche starts, it's going to plow over whatever is in its path. It's like when a, when a tide rises. When a tide rises, there's no stopping the tide from rising. It's, it's going to rise twice a day, every day. We build seawalls, you know, they're man-made things to try to stop the tide from getting onto people's yards and from intruding in different areas that you don't want water to be. But the tide's going to rise whether there's a seawall or not. At this point in time, the spirit already moved. There was no building a seawall to stop the spirit from moving. (laughs) He already moved through and saved 5,000 people. And so that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 4, starting in verse 8. We'll read 8 through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this, uh, th- this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone protected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They, they, they were questioning Peter and John, the religious leaders and the elders, saying, what are you doing? And, and they said, listen, we're teaching what we've seen. We, we've, we're teaching what we believe and what we've heard. Like this man, it wasn't me. I didn't, I didn't make this man get up and walk. It was, it was Jesus. It was through faith in Jesus that this man is able to get up and walk. And so we're just, we're just teaching what is true, what is, what is real. And, and what happens next This next verse, verse 13, to me, is one of my favorite verses in Scripture because it paints such a unique picture, and it says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were uneducated, common men. In other words, there's hope for us. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, they're saying, hey, these people are, are, are fishermen. These people are, are uh, clerks at, at the grocery store. These, these people are teachers. Like, th- these are everyday common people being moved by the Spirit to perform miracles. Let's read verse 23. When they were released... Because here's what, we're jumping down, but uh, what happened is that, you know, ultimately there was no way that they could charge them. They were, they didn't want to have a big uproar with these thousands of people who were moved. And and, uh, they basically were talking with one another and said, there's really just nothing we can do. And I encourage you to go back and read the story, but we have a lot to get through in a short amount of time. So we're going to jump down to verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God 
and says, Sovereign Lord, listen to this, Sovereign Lord, there's all right here. Sovereign Lord who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Peter and John were released. They went to the people outside and, and they told them what happened. And these people were filled with awe and wonder because of how the Lord moved. And they went on to quote David. David kind of, you know, David was in the Old Testament, right? He was alive a long time ago. And he, David, had prophesied through the Spirit that this time would come. And this is what they quoted. They quoted David saying this, why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then the, the, the people went on to talk about this, this prophecy coming to fruition. And they say, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And, and so that's where we get into this idea of boldness. And, and, and before we see this like receiving of boldness and this application of boldness, we see that these people who had just surrendered their life to Jesus, they asked the Lord for boldness. In verse 29, it says, and now, Lord, after, after talking about this uh, prophecy from David and how it's come to fruition, they, they said, and they said, uh, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants, grant to us to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In our life, I, th I think we, we often ask the Lord uh, for help in different things, right? Lord, protect my family. Lord, heal this person in, in this way. Lord, lead me, you know, provide for me in these areas, all things that, that we should be praying for. Those are, all, those are all prayers that we should be praying. But I think often we don't apply this, this prayer of praying for boldness. I'm talking about the, the boldness that, that asks for the, the, the sword of truth that was wielded for us to pick up and, and fight against the enemy in an offensive way. I'm talking like recognizing that there are people in our community who today, if they die, are going to spend eternity in hell and, and going out there and fighting for those people, not, not asking the Lord to, to protect us or, or, to, or to, you know, lead us in different ways, but to ask him for boldness to go out and tell a hurting and a broken generation who Jesus is because he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to hope. He's the only way to eternal sanctification. And we often miss out, we cease to pray for that kind of boldness, this offensive boldness, who take, which, which takes strides to fight against the enemy. It's easy when the enemy presses on us to ask for the Lord's uh, help and, and protection and healing. 
It's, it's kind of a, a default, not, not only for Christians, but for uh, people in the world. It, you know, you, you see when something happens to, to uh, you know, a celebrity, when, when something mass happens, we see the people of the world say, uh, we're praying for you, right? Like there, there's always this response with prayer, this response with, with seeking the Lord for help. But when was the last time we said, Lord, Put me in the battle. I'm suiting up. I'm, I'm taking up the shield of faith, the sword of truth, the, the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm going into battle to find people who don't know Jesus and to tell people about who Jesus is, no matter the consequence. The type of boldness that believes in the miracle working power of Jesus, the the same God who in the Old Testament we see he parted the Red Sea. When was last time we prayed for the boldness to believe the the God, the same God who, who spared Daniel in the lion's den can spare us from the attack of the enemy. The same God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they walked into the furnace and they had this boldness to say, listen, God will save me. He will guide me. He will be with me in that furnace. But even if he isn't, even if he doesn't protect me, he's still good because he's still God. When was the last time we prayed for that kind of boldness that we would walk into a blazing furnace knowing the Lord is with us and protecting us, but knowing that that is the fight that we have to fight if we want to see people saved. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked into the furnace, and then there was another person in We see that the Lord was with them and the Lord will be with us if we ask for that sort of offensive weaponry against the enemy to walk into a blazing furnace, trusting and believing in who Jesus is. Uh, Let's read verse 31. So this is after they asked for this boldness. Now, this boldness was asked for with with a... After they asked, verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The room was shaken. It was much like the, uh, the, when the time of Pentecost came a couple of chapters back in Acts 2, and we see this rushing wind come through the room. Uh, it's a very probably similar experience that they were ha- having the room shook. Imagine us calling collectively as a church upon the name of the Lord in the building, shaking because there's genuineness in our heart, because, because we're asking for the Lord to lead us into battle. But the question uh, comes, how, how, do we, how do we prepare our hearts for this kind of boldness? You know, we, we know that this is the, the, the boldness that we should be asking for, but how can we prepare our hearts to receive this sort of boldness. If we look at the believers in Acts chapter 4, we, we can uh, pull a couple things away. And this, these were just some things that, as I was reading, the Lord revealed to me. And, and the first one is this, that, that they had genuine belief and extreme faith. Genuine belief and extreme faith. When they acknowledged like this is the God who created heaven and earth and the sea and, and everything in them. They were acknowledging the power 
the majesty of God. They were a genuine belief. I think it's easy for us to read stories that took place in Scripture and and, and say, man, it was really cool when God did that. But that's the same God alive and at work today. The same God that parted the sea is the same God that we serve today. The same God that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God that's with us today. The same God that made the sun stand still for a a full day is the same God that's with us today. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ through scripture. Faith comes from here. I think that many, many of us don't spend time in in this, we're we're willing to to, uh, invest a lot of time in our hobbies, you know, researching houses. We're, uh, we spend a lot of time watching silly TV shows. But the one thing that makes an eternal difference we say we don't have time for right that's a that's a that's a that's a big thing that many people like to say we don't have time to to read scripture or to spend time with the lord and this this is not this is not a a thing of of i don't want anybody to feel like a condemnation at all this is simply like if we are to experience this boldness that we're talking about in Acts chapter 4, spending time in Scripture has got to be a part of our life. We all have the, you know, the, the, whole, the old saying, you know, we all have the same amount of time in a day. It's just a matter of how we prioritize our time. And so if we are to experience and prepare our hearts for this level of boldness, well, we have to be in the Word, not just on Sunday. Sunday is where it's easy, right? <laughs> like getting to church sometimes isn't easy, but, but once we're here, we're going to talk about the Bible, right? <laughs> like we're not going to be talking about Star Wars and stuff. So that, that's the, but, but being in the Word on your own, learning, learning how to, uh, navigate a relationship with the Lord. That, that's important when it comes to this idea of having a, a living in boldness for the Lord. Having genuine belief and extreme faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. The second thing is that we need to go to, or, and will we see the, the, the church here going to the Lord with sincerity and a heart of, of forgiveness. Mark chapter 11, verses 24 through 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Not like, you know, I believe the Lord is providing a brand new F-250. But, you know, things that are (laughs) in line with, with the Lord. 
And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anybody, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It's really hard. When we look at the, the church in Acts 4, the people who responded, we see, and the same thing in Acts 2, we see that the, the, they were of, of uh, one mind, right? Of one accord. Like they, they had all things in common is, is what they say. And so uh, harboring bitterness towards other people, especially other believers, uh, is not healthy when we're trying to form that one accord sort of uh, approach to, to the Lord. I want to I offer a, a suggestion that I've done personally that uh, has been uh, an incredible part of my life recently, and that was when I deleted social media <laughs> from my from my phone. Uh, I don't look at it anymore. So if you want to say something that I don't agree with, you have to tell me to my face. <laughs> I literally don't see anything that any of you post. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm serious. Uh, I think truly that, that uh, and I'm sorry if you're watching this, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, but um, I really think that, that social media today when, when, we're, when we're constantly scrolling through, we, we see different things that we don't agree with, and it, and it stirs up a little bit of bitterness in our heart. And this isn't for everybody. This really is not for everybody. Uh, but for me personally, I would be scrolling through, and I would see things, and I'm like, I don't agree with that. And it, it stirred kind of a, a little bit of impatience with certain people in my heart. It stirred a little bit of frustration in my heart. And so I, I said, well, how can I uh, release this? to the Lord, and, and I really felt like it was time to just delete it from my phone, and I did that, and it has been awesome. Um, and that's just one tiny practical thing some people uh, hold on to, and I was in this place as well, uh, like probably a decade ago, where I was holding on to uh, a level of unforgiveness to somebody from, uh, from years past, and I had to pick up the phone and call that person and ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness to them. And it was a, a, not a fun phone call, but the results were positive. And I think that uh, one of my old pastors used to say, hard conversations are always worth it. And I, I truly believe that. And so um, I think when we go to the Lord, if we're harboring bitterness towards other people, if there's unforgiveness in our hearts uh, that hasn't been extended to somebody or that we haven't asked for for ourselves, uh, then clar clarifying that, clearing that up a little bit uh, will allow us to be in this place of purity when we go to the Lord. And I think that's very uh, important and, and something that we see when we read uh, this about this, uh, these believers in Acts 4. We see that they were of one heart and, and one mind. Uh, it says in verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one uh, said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And that leads kind of into this final area, and that's this idea of surrendering our finances to the Lord. Surrendering our, our finances to the Lord. And uh, don't run yet, because I, I know when we use the word finance, people start sweating. Um, but the, the, here's the deal. The likeliness of, of us re responding in the way that this church did, uh, the, these Christians did in Acts 4, is, it's not likely, but we can, we can take things uh, from this section of Scripture and apply these things 
to our finances and to the way that we serve the Lord with our finances. And so uh, let's go ahead and read Acts 4, 33 through 37. It says, and with great power, the apostles were uh, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, it's not likely that we're going to do this exact model today, but here are some things that we can learn. First of all, these people were no longer motivated by their own self-worth. They were not motivated by what they could gain from their finances, but they were motivated instead by how the Lord could be glorified through their finances. I'm going to say that one more time. They were not motivated by what they could gain from their finances, but instead they were motivated by how the Lord could be glorified through their finances. And then we see that there was a full dependence on the Lord to provide they were believing in the Lord's provision. I wonder what generosity would look like if our dependence was on the provision of the Lord. They still worked, but they trusted as they were giving with a generous heart that the Lord was going to provide. I can say from, uh, from a personal experience, my wife and I, when we have... Uh, like, so when we got married, we, we, we said, hey, giving regularly is going to be a part of our life. Uh, it's, it's what I've read in scripture. It's what we believe. And from day one, we've, the first thing we do with every paycheck is we give. And the way that the Lord has worked in our finances has been incredible. And can I tell you, the, the times when we've seen the Lord move in astronomical ways through our finances are the times where we've said, we don't have anything left to give we're going to give to this thing, like above and beyond. We're, we're going to give uh, to this uh, missionary or to this organization or, or to this person who's asking for help in this area. And I'll, I'll clear this up. If you're not a uh, follower of Christ in this room or online, then this, none of this applies to you. So you can kind of take a breath there. But if you call yourself a believer and, and you really want to experience this this boldness that we're reading about in Acts chapter 4, financial surrender has to be a part of our life. And it's called loosening the grip on our finances, trusting the Lord with our finances. And we actually believe so strongly in this idea of surrendering our finances to the Lord that uh, we have been working with a program called FPU, and, and uh, this idea is, is to get everybody out of debt, because debt is one of the things that, uh, that creates separation in marriages. I mean, one of the biggest things, debt is one of those things that creates a daily tension in our life, and, and when we look at this 
FPU program, we've seen that over six million people have come out of debt completely if they apply correctly to this, uh, if they apply everything to this program and go through it. And we believe so strongly in that, that we made an investment as a church uh, so that everybody has this program for free, like probably eight months left of this program. And so I highly encourage you to take, uh, to, to take a hold of this program and do it before it's gone. Okay, my wife and I have walked through it, and the only debt we have left is our mortgage right now. Uh, and the whole idea is to get you to a place where you're able to, as Dave Ramsey, he's the creator of this, as he talks, to, to live and give like nobody else. And that's the thing. When we've had people approach us, we've been able to not even think about whether or not we can give because it's just a, a matter of fact like we're going to be generous with our finances and I'm talking about uh, wh- wh- whatever it is that you and your your spouse your family identify if it's giving at church if it's giving uh, to missionaries identifying organizations that you can give to I think financial surrender trusting the Lord with our finances is a major part of experiencing a heart of boldness when it comes to serving the Lord so I want to ask you this question again, and we're kind of wrapping up here as we, as we, you know, Bane can actually go ahead and start making their way up if you want. Um, I want to ask you this question again. I wonder how often we delay the work of God in our life because we're unwilling to make an investment. This could be that, that uh, you know, idea of, of a financial investment. We're, we're, let, we're holding on so tightly to the way we can control our finances. We're not trusting the Lord in our finances. It might be this area of, uh, of forgiveness. We might be unwilling to extend forgiveness to somebody uh, from years past. Maybe we're unwilling to acknowledge the miracle-working power of God the same God that was alive and at work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is the same God alive and at work in our life today. Maybe we're unwilling to truly admit that and seek the Lord for boldness. What if today the Lord is calling our church to boldness? What areas of our life are we not willing to surrender What are the things that are standing in our way of experiencing this boldness and being prepared to receive this type of boldness if we are to ask the Lord for boldness as a church? How are we not prepared to receive that boldness? One of the things that that Dave Ramsey says when it comes to this FPU program is that if you want to experience financial freedom and, and experience a life free of debt, you can't do uh, FPU-ish, Financial Peace University. You can't do FPU-ish, you know, because we try to, like, pick pieces of it uh, and apply it. And uh, he says people who have done that don't see results. And some of you might have said, hey, I've tried FPU and it doesn't work. Well, you probably did FPU-ish. Like you've taken components of it and not fully applied it. Dave says, if you want to experience true freedom in your finances, you can't do it-ish. You have to go all in. And I wonder how many of us are living faith-ish instead of living faithful Maybe today God is calling us to live faithful, to be rich in our faith, applying the things that God teaches us 
and experiencing the boldness that comes through Christ alone. As we close, I want to challenge us to respond, to respond. We're, we're, we're kind of entering into, if you haven't been a part of our church before, we, at the end of our, our sermon, have a time where we're able to respond to what God might be saying to us. And you don't have to. You can stay in your seat. That's really no problem. But I want to give you a, a couple ways in which you can respond, if that's something that you want to do. One, uh, maybe you want to, to choose to uh, walk through that FPU program. And you can come over here and grab a note card from the cross and just write FPU and your name and your email address, phone number if, if you want, however, what's the best way to, to connect with you. Just grab that and you can drop it uh, at the uh, tithe box area over there on your way out or stop by the Welcome Center. So that's one way to respond. During this next song, you can write just FPU, your name, and your contact information. Some of you might want to respond uh, by coming up to the cross and, and taking a note card and, and writing down the, the name or, or names of somebody that, that you haven't forgiven and just drop that at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's yourself. Maybe you haven't asked for forgiveness in some area and you need to write that down. Maybe there's somebody in your life who you haven't asked uh, for forgiveness from and or extended forgiveness to, and you can write their name uh, and drop it at the cross. Maybe you need to just go outside, and I'm giving you permission to leave early, and dial the phone and make that call. I've done it, and it is not fun. <laughs> but maybe the Lord's stirring your heart to walk outside right now during this next song and make that phone call, ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness, experience that restoration. And then the last way that you can respond today, we have brought this carpet up here. This is not a regular part of, uh, of our services, but uh, it's a way that we can respond today. If, if you're in a place where you say, I am, I'm ready to experience the boldness of the Lord, I encourage you to come and to kneel at the altar and let's pray over you. If you're like, I truly want to experience boldness to live this vibrant life of, of, of uh, you know, fighting against the enemy, taking up the sword of truth as an offensive weapon to go out into the community and find people who don't know Jesus, to, to be actively seeking those six people and standing in the gap of hell for them and saying, listen, I'm ready to fight with you alongside you. If, if that's you and you say, hey, I want to experience that boldness, then come kneel on this carpet and I'm going to ask our elders and our pastoral team to come and we'll lay hands and, and pray over you as a church. But uh, let, me, let me close in prayer and then